I, uh, I, I don't know, and I'm not trying to be coy or clever. I, I really don't know how people survive not being a part of a community like this. I really don't know. I, I can't figure it out. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. Uh, I'm so grateful that God's brought me into this one. Um, so today, we're going to wind up our series that we've been in for a um, little over a month on the six main characters of Genesis. Didn't Paul do a great job last week? Oh, man. Well, yeah, go ahead. It, it really fantastic job just kind of carrying us along in that. He kind of helped us to circle the runway. Um, today, we're going to talk about Jacob, who Paul talked about last week. We're going to talk about his son. We're going to talk about uh, Isaac's grandson, Abraham's great-grandson, a man named Joseph. Now, Joseph uh, covers a considerable amount of real estate in the book of Genesis. Um, he's, he, his story actually covers about the last 20 chapters of a chapter that, uh, or a book that consists of 50 chapters. Now, today we're going to focus on Genesis 37 through 42 primarily, but if you'd like to read the whole story, I totally encourage you to do that sometime this week. And like I said, it starts in chapter 30 and goes all the way through chapter 50, and that would be a great uh, kind of devotional homework for you to do this week. Uh, but here's where we're at in the story. So during his time of exile with his uncle Laban um, that that, jo- uh, that Paul told you about last week, um, Jacob's wife Leah and also her handmaid, who is a woman named Zilpah, and, um, and if you ever don't like your name, just thank God that your parents didn't name you Zilpah. And his favorite wife, Rachel, her handmaid, Bilhah, together, yeah, I'm telling you, it's, a, it's a, quite a catalog of names there. But these three women gave Jacob ten sons and one daughter while, while Jacob was in exile. So eleven kids from three women. And this was painful, incredibly painful for Rachel, which was Jacob's favorite wife, to, to witness. It was hard for her to watch. Uh, she was Jacob's favorite wife by a wide margin, but the fact of the matter is that she was barren. She could not have children. And, um, and this was, in her time, this was an incredible cultural shame. For a woman not to be able to bear children was incredibly shameful. And um, she desperately prayed that God would have mercy on her and let her bear a child. So this is what we read in Genesis chapter 30, verse 22. It said, Then God remembered Rachel. Aren't you so glad for the times that God has remembered you? Man, if you ever think, well, maybe, maybe God's never remembered me. Uh-uh. All you have to do is look to the cross of Calvary, and you will remember that, that, that there's, a, there's a scripture written that says, then God remembered Narcy. Then God remembered Ron. Then God remembered Glenn. That's, what, that's when God remembered us. But in this case, it says, then God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son. God has taken away my reproach, she said. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. Now, the first detail that we read about Joseph's life after his birth and the miraculous birth is that at one point he brought a bad report to his father about his stepbrothers, the ones that were born uh, from these two handmaidens. He brought a bad report, something they were doing. The Bible doesn't tell us what it was, but they were doing something, and Joseph went and told Daddy about it. And um, this did not set him off on the right foot with his brothers, to say the least. And the next verse in, this, in the chapter 37 
gives us more reasons for the tension that existed between Joseph and his ten brothers at this point. And it says this in, in Genesis 37, verse 3. It says, now, now Israel, which is Jacob, remember, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. How long had Jacob waited for Rachel to bear him a son, to bear him a child? Moreover, Rachel had died, the Bible tells us, shortly after giving birth to her second son, a man named Benjamin. And so Joseph and his brother were particularly valuable as memorials and tangible reminders of this woman that Jacob loved so much. As a token of his great favor towards Joseph, Jacob gave Joseph a beautiful multicolored robe that set him apart from the rest of his sons. They didn't get one. And it also affirmed his position in the family. Unfortunately, this message was not lost on the other 11 boys. I don't know if you've ever given one child of yours, even innocently, one half a proton more of something than, than um, uh, one of the other children. And they, they notice, don't they? They notice. So J- Joseph comes decked out in this beautiful sequined you know, uh, robe he's got on. And, and none of the brothers missed not just the robe, but the message that that robe was sending. And so additionally, in addition to all this, if this wasn't bad enough to kind of create this divide between Joseph and his brothers, God gave Joseph dreams that indicated that he was destined for greatness. And even that his family, his very own family, the same 11 brothers would one day bow before him in homage. And when, when he told his brothers these dreams, it absolutely sealed their resentment for him. And all this came to a head when Jacob sent Joseph to look for his brothers who were grazing their flocks in a far country. And he he wanted them to go check on their welfare, go find them, check on their welfare, check on the welfare of the flocks. And when his brothers saw him coming at a distance, uh, this was their chance. They, They began to plot to kill him. And they said this, they said, we're gonna see what's gonna become of the dreamer's dream. However, the oldest brother, thank goodness, Reuben, he persuaded them just to throw him in a pit in the wilderness and not to kill them himself, kill him themselves. And so what they did is they got Joseph when he showed up. They stripped that robe off of him, uh, the one that his father had adorned him with, and they threw him in this waterless pit and just left him to die. But while they were eating their lunch, you know, you know, dispose of your brother, eat your lunch. That's kind of what was on their agenda that day. While they were eating their lunch, their greedy brother Judah suggested that instead of just letting him rot there in a hole, they sell him as a slave and make some profit off their grudge. So passing merchants paid them paid him 20 pieces of silver for their brother, and they thought that was that. They completed their deception by dipping Joseph's beautiful robe in the blood of a slaughtered goat so that they could convince his father that he had been killed by a wild animal, and of course... The Bible doesn't have to tell us this, but it does that Jacob was absolutely devastated. And it tells us that he refused to be comforted by anyone. So great was his grief. So the merchants, they take Joseph, these passing merchants, and they sell him in the slave markets of Egypt. And though he was a descendant, a favored descendant of Father Abraham with all the promises that go along with that, he would now be a resident and banished to dwell in Egypt for the rest of his days. Eventually, he was 
sold in those slave markets to a man named Potiphar. He was an officer of the Pharaoh. And, but while he was a slave, this is the cool part, one of the many cool parts of the story. While he was a slave, something absolutely incredible happened. It was amazing. God was with Joseph. Even though he's there in the, you know, as a slave, he, the Bible tells us that he never forsook him. And, and he, he grew literally in favor and he prospered in everything he did. And before long, Potiphar actually recognized this and he entrusted him with the management of his entire household. A slave was managing this rich man's household. And he didn't concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. But there was danger in the house. Or the problem, problem was Potiphar's wife. She was inflamed with lust for Joseph. The Bible tells us that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He was good looking and she did not fail to notice that. Every day she turned up the heat begging him to sleep with her. Her greatest hope was that he would uh, comply and sleep with her. And now think about Joseph's position. He could have convinced himself that things were going good. Why rock the boat? He's a slave anyway, so why don't he have a little fun? He's far away from his family, far away from the covenant with his God. Might as well just enjoy himself. But instead of any of that, he steadfastly resisted on the basis that it would be a horrible sin and that it would bring dishonor not only on his master, but on his God. And he made that determination. One day she insisted so strongly, come to bed with me, that she grabbed his clothes and demanded that he sleep with her. But he tore out of his clothes and out the door, determined to guard his purity and his conscience. And if you don't mind me saying, young people, I'll address you particularly, this is a great lesson. That there are times when, when in, in face with temptation, it is not time to stand and fight, but it's time to cut and run. And that's, that, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, it's the truth. Most of the times that, that I have been, oh, shoot, all the times that I have been entangled in temptation, it's because I wasn't smart enough just to leave, just to go. Paul even writes this, this same counsel to his young protege, Timothy. He says, so flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all of those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Getting back to the story to cover her track, she concocted this story that Joseph had tried to rape her and that she had cried out, causing him to flee. And so Potiphar comes home, he hears this story, and he is absolutely furious. He's absolutely just coming apart at the seams as, as most husbands would be. And he had poor Joseph arrested and thrown in the dungeon where the rest of the king's prisoners were kept. And he didn't care, he was going to rot there. But again, Guess what? God was with Joseph. And he increased in favor. Yes, even in prison. The warden, in fact, put him in charge of the administration of the entire prison prison and all the prisoners. Right there in prison. And so one day, after being in prison for several years, Joseph happened upon two prisoners under his care who had both been officials in Pharaoh's court. And they both had had dreams that troubled them because... They didn't understand their meanings. In those Eastern cultures, dreams were very significant, and, and, and they, they always wanted to know the meaning. And so these guys had these, these vague dreams, and they didn't know the meaning. It was really bothering them. So Joseph told them that all interpretation belongs to God, and he asked them to tell him what they had dreamed. 
When the first man told his dream, God revealed the meaning to Joseph, and it was good, and he shared it with the man. He told him that in just three short days, you're going to be released from prison. But when the second man heard the interpretation was so positive, man, he was anxious to relay his dream to Joseph as well. However, his story would be different. In just three short days, he would be executed by Pharaoh. So Joseph asked the first man, he said, hey, when you get out of prison, remember me. Just remember me. Plead my case to those on the outside as he was innocent, completely innocent, and he had been falsely imprisoned. But the man was released just as Joseph had predicted three days later. And at first a day passed, then a week passed, and then a month passed, and then a year, and before long, two full years. And this man who had had his dream interpreted by Joseph completely forgot about Joseph. What a happy story. But one night, in the middle of all this, Pharaoh had a dream. In fact, it was two dreams, actually. He had this dream, and he too was troubled as he tried to understand them. Shot straight up in bed. In his dream, he saw uh, seven healthy cows, and they were coming up out of the Nile. And and they were a rancher's dream. I mean, they were fat, grass-fed, beautiful-looking cows. and, And they were sitting there eating in the reed grass. And then... At the same moment, as they're just, he's just admiring these cows, seven of the scrawniest, nastiest, sorriest-looking cows you ever saw in your life come out of the Nile, and they eat the healthy cows. What on earth could that mean? And, and they eat these healthy cows. They look no better for it. In his next dream, he falls back asleep. In the next dream, he sees seven gorgeous, ripe heads of grain. They're growing on the same stalk. But then, just like in the first dream, on this stalk, it, it, it sprouted seven wind-burned, thin, limp uh, heads of grain. And like in the first dream, guess what they did? They swallowed up the good grain. So Pharaoh awoke and he summoned all his counselors. He summoned all his magicians to explain to him his dream. But guess what? They were just as clueless as Pharaoh was to comprehend the meaning. And it was at that exact moment... The Pharaoh's cupbearer who had been in prison with Joseph, he goes, oops, made a mistake. He he tells Pharaoh, he said, hey, man, I was locked up and I was serving some time because you you threw me in there. And and there was this guy and I had a dream and he told me what the dream meant. And 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 man, I I really blew it. And so Pharaoh uh, says, go get this guy. This is what the, 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 uh, the man told him. He said, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted it to us, so it came about. So as I said, Pharaoh summoned Joseph immediately. Joseph bathed. Joseph shaved. Joseph changed his clothes. And he appeared before the king, not looking like a prisoner. And... When he said that, that, when the king said, hey, you're the guy, I've heard that you interpret dreams, Joseph said this incredible thing that would be very instructive for us as well. He said, it is not in me. That's really helpful to remember. When you think you've got all your spiritual ducks in a row, you might want to just remember that simple phrase, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And with that, Pharaoh told Joseph the dream. And Pharaoh, Joseph explained rather that both dreams meant the exact same thing. Seven years of bumper crops were coming, an incredible abundance, but they would be followed by seven years of devastating famine and lack in Egypt. 
And because of this news, Joseph suggested that the king find a wise man, one filled with integrity, who could collect 20% of the national harvest annually for the first seven years so that they could be distributed during the famine and the nation would be saved. And guess what Pharaoh did? He looks at Joseph and this is his reply. He says, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. And you shall be over my house. And all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And the king then takes this prisoner, this slave, this reject from his family, and he exalts him. He gives him, Pharaoh gives him his own signet ring. He gives him royal robes. He puts a gold chain around his neck. He gives him his own chariot from, from Pharaoh's fleet to ride in. He has an escort run behind, uh, run in front of the chariot, demanding that people bow before him. He even gives him a wife and he has a couple of kids. So things are turning around. Joseph became the second most powerful man in the most powerful kingdom in the world at the time. And because of his administration, because of his service, because of his wisdom, because of his work, many, many people were saved. And this is what the Bible says. It says in in Genesis 41, beginning in verse 56, it says, So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe in the earth. In the remainder of the story, we see that even Joseph's own brothers came to Egypt to buy food for their hungry families. And you'll never guess what they did when they showed up. They were probably on their face. I didn't do that this morning, but they got all the way down. What was Joseph's dream? He saw it. God had showed him what was going to happen. They bowed before their long-lost brother, even though at first they didn't recognize him. They bowed before him, just as Joseph had foreseen. Now, instead of gloating, though, this is what I want you to get. This is so cool. Instead of gloating, instead of punishing them for, for their wickedness, which Joseph was clearly in the right and the authority to do at this point, Joseph blesses them thoroughly. He just pours out a bunch of blessings. He gives them all the food they could ever want. He gives them, he gives them a place to stay. He, 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 he provides for all of their family, all their flocks. He just blesses them and blesses them and blesses them, even though they treat him so poorly. And after Jacob dies, the brothers are in a full-scale panic. They think, this is where the other shoe drops. And, and they, they think, the, the bad stuff is awaiting us. <laughs> When they go to him, they actually concoct the story themselves. And they go to this and say, oh, Daddy wanted you to know right before he died that you're supposed to forgive us. He just wanted to let you know that. So don't, you know, put your guillotine away. You're supposed to forgive us. But listen to Joseph's response. Man, God, make me a man that responds to those who wrong me like this. Listen to this. this is awesome. Do, do not fear, he says, for am I in the place of God? I'm not your judge. God is. Listen, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly for them. When he should have backhanded them into the next county, he loved them and served them and gave his life to them. What? An incredible story. What a great story. 
But I ask you this morning, this is what I want to ask you. What is the point of it? See, when I was growing up, I heard this story a lot. I went to Sunday school, went to children's church, heard this story a lot when I was growing up. And, and the story was always something like this. Now, we see here from Jacob's mistake, don't play favorites with your kids. When, you, when you're tempted to sin sexually, run. When, when, when you're falsely accused, be patient. And when you're forgotten, endure. And maybe it speaks to some of those things. Maybe it's instructive. Even I've paused a few times and instructed you on those things. Maybe it's true that some of those things are point, but are, are in there. But I don't think that any of them are the point. I don't think that any of that stuff, any of those moral lessons are the point of this story. See, what I think, as he did so many times in the Old Testament, I think our wonderful God is painting a picture for us of what he is ultimately going to do for us in Jesus Christ. You see, just as Joseph was born improbably to a barren woman, Jesus Christ was born impossibly to a virgin. Just as Joseph's brothers despised him, the Bible says that this world hates Jesus. He said in John 15:18, if the world hates you, speaking to us as disciples, he says, know that it has hated me before it hated you. But the father even with all this being true, the Father has highly favored and eternally loves His one and only Son. He is robed in indescribable, unapproachable glory, the Bible tells us. And just like Joseph, Jesus foresaw and He declared a coming day when He would be absolutely glorified and exalted. He said in Matthew 25, He said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. The day is coming. Jesus will not be nailed to a cross. He won't be a, a, a poverty-stricken carpenter from, from uh, you know, the Middle East. Someday when you see him, he's going to sit as the judge of the whole earth on a throne surrounded by millions and millions and millions of angels, just like Joseph. Many of those who heard these claims doubted them and they resented them. Just like Joseph, Jesus was tempted to compromise, not by some pervert woman, but he was tempted to compromise by the devil himself, the expert at temptation. But in that moment, Jesus stood firm and he defeated his tempter with faith towards God, with the word of God, and with unshakable integrity. Just like Joseph, Jesus' father sent him to a far country to search for his brothers. I love that. And just like Jesus, when he arrived in the far country, he wasn't welcomed. A conspiracy was hatched to put him to death. As Joseph was stripped forcefully of his beautiful robe, Christ willingly laid aside the fullness of his glory. As Joseph was sold for silver by his brothers, Jesus would be betrayed, would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver by Jesus. Just like Joseph, Jesus was falsely arrested, falsely accused, wrongfully condemned. Just like Joseph, Jesus was innocent of every accusation that was hurled at him. Peter puts it this way, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's what that's what Joseph did, right? I mean, he was in prison. He was a slave, and he just kept saying, God's going to be my vindicator, and that's what Jesus did. Just like Joseph, Jesus was 
abandoned by those he blessed and those he served. Just like Joseph, Jesus was in prison, not in a dungeon, but in a tomb. And he too was left, to de- left for dead, left to rot there. But just like Joseph, just like Joseph, just like Joseph, Jesus Christ heard the king's voice summoning him to come out. He heard the king's voice summoning him out of his prison tomb. Just like Joseph, when he came out and he bathed and he shaved and he changed his clothes, Jesus came out of his tomb different than he went in. Luke twenty four thirty six says this. It's a great picture of Jesus after the resurrection. It says, as they were talking about these things, and these things were what had happened. Where is Jesus? What's happened? Is he risen? We've heard these stories. And it says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened. Yeah, I'll bet. And they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before him. Dead men don't rise. Ghosts don't eat. Ghosts don't have flesh and bones, and yet Jesus came up metaphorically, cleaned, shaven, brand new clothes. He was glorified, glorified. And just like Joseph, the king has not only called Jesus out of the tomb that imprisoned him, but the king has exalted him. He said before his ascension, after his resurrection, before he ascended to his father, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. His Father has exalted him. Paul tells us that God has so highly exalted him that he's given him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. But more than anything, just like happened with Joseph, the exaltation of Christ means salvation has come to the entire world because he has been lifted up. Now, now salvation has come to the whole world. Didn't he say that? Didn't he say that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself? Just like Joseph, Jesus would be fully justified if he condemned us for our wickedness. But instead, he blesses us with his grace. Joseph, get this. Joseph made provision of food for the people who were starving. They were starving. They came from all the four corners of the earth so that they could buy food from Joseph, and he, he gave it to them. They would have died if they hadn't gone to get what Joseph provided to sustain them. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ from John chapter 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, listen, you have no life. And Jesus says, unless you come to get nourishment and sustenance from me, you will starve to death. You have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Listen to me. Jesus has provided his body and his blood to give life to poor, 
starving souls. See, those that are full, if you're full this morning, if you're full of what the world has, if you're full of, of your own uh, you know, self-awareness, your own uh, pride, whatever it is, if you're full this morning, Christ is of absolutely no value to you. I could preach to you till I'm blue in the face and I couldn't convince you to come to Jesus if you're full. But if you're hungry this morning, if you're hungry, if you're one of those that is frustrated by your own sin, if you're confused by your own suffering, if you're grieved by death, If you're exhausted by religion, Christ stands before you as a smorgasbord for you to feast upon. This is exactly, exactly what we celebrate at the Lord's table each week. Let the hungry come and feast upon the goodness of God. Let the hungry come and feast upon the mercy of the Lord. Let the hungry come and feed upon the grace of the Lord Jesus. Jesus has suffered and he's been exalted so that he may satisfy every true longing within you. Maybe you're still spiritually sitting at home back in the promised land, and you're looking in the cupboards, and man, they are bare. All the supplies you thought would sustain you run out. There's famine all around you, spiritually, emotionally, physically, socially, financially. I've got good news for you. I've got real good news for you. There's plenty of food for you in the kingdom of the Lord. So get up! Leave what you know. Come receive the grace of the Lord Jesus. Leave your home. Leave where you, the, the place where you've, you've, you've made roots for yourself in sin and degradation and come to the Lord Jesus and feast at his table. He's waiting. He's provided sustenance for you there. And guess what? Guess what? All you got to do is show up. It's yours for the asking. That's all you got to do. Say, Jesus, I'm hungry this morning. I cannot feed myself. All of my supplies have run out and I am starving. Oh my goodness, he'll open the pantries of heaven and he will feed you. Not with some temporal blessing. He'll feed you with his own flesh and blood. He will wash away your sins. He will clean your conscience. He will give you the forgiveness you so desperately need. And he'll show you how to live. And he'll not only show you in teaching you, he'll empower you with the everlasting presence of his Holy Spirit to teach you how to live. What a deal. Why would you say no to that? Why would you say no? Preachers have a format. Usually they stick to the script. Today I broke the script. My, my thing is usually on the passage, I, I, I read it and I tell you kind of where we're going and then I read it and we read it together while standing. So I didn't make you do that at the beginning. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. I'm not going to ask you to look it up in your Bibles. We're going to put it up here on the screen for you. But I want to read you the entire chapter of Isaiah 55. And I don't want you to let your mind wander. Don't, don't pick up your devices. Don't do anything. Even if you're taking notes, put your notes down. I want you to focus entirely on the words that are going to be on the screen. And not as something that was written by an old prophet you know, several hundred, uh, over a thousand years ago, several thousand years ago. Um, don't focus on it like that. I want you to focus on it as an invitation you just got in the mail and opened it up straight from the throne of heaven itself. And listen, and some of you need to respond. Some of you need to respond for the first time. Some of you need to do business with God and get some things right. But let this passage be your invitation. Just listen. Give it all your attention. Isaiah says this, Come, Everyone who thirsts, come to the water. And and he who has no money, come buy and eat. 
come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation you do not know and a nation you did, that you did not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God and because of the Holy One of Israel. For he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down, from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it spring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you, remember this is the hungry, the thirsty, listen to this promise. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, and an everlasting sign shall not be cut off. Amen, amen, amen. So the invitation to you this morning is come. Are you thirsty this morning? Come. Are you hungry this morning? Come. Some of you might might say, well, Mark, things are rough right now, but I'm a Christian. I know that. There are some of you here who are not Christians. You're deceiving yourself. You think you're all right with God, and you're not. If you were to face him right now, you'd be in big trouble. But you don't have to fear that because what you need to fear is not doing something about it. Come and put your trust in him. And and if, if you are a Christian and you know that there's some things that are out of whack, you can do something about it. You can say, God, I don't know how this is going to work, but I trust you and you've invited me to come and feast on you. And so, Lord, I'm strapping on the bib and I'm coming to the table, knife and fork in hand. Come on. What are you waiting for? You're waiting to figure this out on your own pride? You'll burn in hell before you figure it out in your own pride. If I may be that blunt with you, you'll never figure it out. You're not that smart. You're not that talented. You're not that strong. But I know who is. I know who is. His name is Jesus, and he has been exalted above every other thing in the universe. I'm going to ask our communion workers to come. And and if you're here today and and you really want to make some movement towards Jesus, then I'm going to ask you to um, just take a moment. This won't take long. Just come and let me know. I want to just pray with you. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm I'm not going to single you out. I just want to pray with you. That's it. But I'd love to talk, visit with you. I'm usually standing right over there on those stairs. So if you want to talk to me, just come down this, this aisle and, and I'll be right there waiting for you. And Pastor Dave, if uh, there's more than one of you, he'll be willing to talk to you as well. So, um, but 
we want to invite you, whether you're a, a believer, you're solid, you know it, whether you're not, doesn't matter. I'm inviting the whole congregation to come feast upon the Lord. And this, this table is, is what God has given us to, to have a picture, to have an image of what this looks like, what something that is, is very tangible, real bread, real juice. It, it reminds us that God did something spiritually with his body and his blood, the blood of his son, that changes everything. These familiar words that we read each week, this is what Paul says as he's reminding the Corinthian church of what Jesus said. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You may come.